Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Now, it wasn't heaven. It was paradise. It was the paradise side of Hades. And that's where Jesus would go in his spirit for the three days and three nights that his body was in the tomb. The other side, the torment side, is where all those would go, that side of Hades or that side of Sheol, who did not believe in God, did not practice the sacrificial system before Jesus dies on the cross, who did not by faith believe God through the atonement of the blood of animals. They went to the torment side. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. Many of us probably think of Greek mythology or the movie Hercules whenever we hear the word Hades, but did you know it's mentioned in the Bible? What's interesting is that Hades and hell actually aren't synonymous either and are in fact unique. As Pastor Gary will discuss in his message today, Hades is the place that Christ visited for three days and three nights after his death. In his study, you'll learn how both Paradise and Hades were actually temporary holding places for souls before the end of the age. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Matthew, chapter 12, is where we left off. We left off in the middle of the chapter, right around verse 38, where it talks about the sign of Jonah, if your Bibles are subtitled like mine. In the middle of chapter 12, right at verse 38, it says the sign of Jonah. Now, let me just back up a little bit because uh, I mentioned to you that between chapters 11 and 12, Jesus makes four comparative statements concerning himself. Back in chapter 11, verse 11, he talked about how he is greater than John the Baptist. He said, one greater than John the Baptist is now here, and it's a reference to himself being more than a prophet, though as great as John the Baptist was, Jesus is more than a prophet. He's greater than John Baptist. Uh, and, and then he also makes the statement in chapter 12, verse 6, that he is greater than the temple. That is to say, he is more than a system of works and sacrifices, which is what the people had been used to up to that point. You approach God through a series of sacrifices, through, through a, a series of works. It was a works-oriented sacrificial system to approach God. And Jesus comes and he's going to die on a cross. And now we're not saved by works, but we're saved by faith through grace. And this, the gift of God, even believing faith is a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So Jesus changes it from a system of works and sacrifices 
to his paying the ultimate sacrifice and doing the ultimate work so that now we're saved through grace. And this should be liberating to some of you who have grown up in kind of a legalistic home or maybe you went to a church where it was all about doing good things and and doing works in order to approach God. And, And that isn't to negate good works. James talks about faith without works is dead. But it is to say, however, that works does not make us righteous. Good works and good deeds do not make us righteous. Faith in Jesus Christ is the only way we are made righteous before God. Now, having then been made righteous by faith in Jesus, I want to do good works. And that's the point of James's epistle. Faith without works is dead. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you dead faith. So we do good works, but in response to what God has already done for us through Jesus Christ, not in order to gain God's favor, not in order to gain God's good stand, a good standing with God, but we do works in response to what God initiated by dying for us on the cross. Does everybody understand this? So that's why Jesus says that he's greater than the temple. The temple represented the sacrificial system, and it was put in place for a time to point to Christ The sacrificial system, the slaughtering of animals put in effect for a time so that through the shed blood of an animal, there would be an innocent life in exchange for a guilty life. That's what Hebrews is all about. You read the book of Hebrews, it talks about the sacrificial system now having been fulfilled in Christ. He is that Passover lamb that came to die for us to take away the sins of the world. So God made provision for the people under the Old Covenant, Old Testament, that they could be made provisionally, positionally righteous before God through a sacrificial system. But that was only a temporary thing, and they had to do that daily. And there was an annual basis, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, to be made righteous before God. But Jesus comes and he dies once and for all, for all who would believe, one sacrifice, one time, for all eternity. And now the the uh, access to God is through faith in Jesus for all who would believe and receive. So, it, you know, Jesus has liberated us from the works-oriented system to a grace-given system, and now it is through faith in Jesus that we're saved. So Jesus says we, he is greater than the temple. He's more than a system of works and sacrifices. Now, when we get here to this sign of Jonah in verse 38, he's going to make another comparative statement. Look with me here. Verse 38, Matthew chapter 12. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. And he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth." The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now, here it is, one greater than Jonah is here. Now, let's first back up and and understand what's going on here, because Jesus says it's a wicked and adulterous generation that asks for a miraculous sign. Is it wrong to ask for God to do miracles? No, it's not. The context here is that these are Pharisees and teachers of the law. They are asking Jesus to perform a miraculous sign because they are testing him. They are saying, prove yourself by virtue of miraculous signs. Jesus doesn't need to prove himself to anybody. God is not obligated to prove himself to anyone. But yet he delights to do his miraculous work. So don't read this and think, are we not supposed to pray for miracles and believe in miracles? No, 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 that's okay. Except if you are asking it in order for God to prove himself to you. 
He's not obligated to do that. He is real. He's given himself and proven himself in many different wonderful ways. And so we are not to test him like this. And that's what they're doing here. They're testing him. Why don't you do a few miracles for us and maybe we'll believe in you. That's why he rebukes them. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for miraculous sign. He says, none will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And then he makes this statement here about how Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. So the Son of Man will be three nights, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, history lesson. When we went through the book of Jonah, that's, that's what records the history of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet of God who was called by God to go preach to the Ninevites. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire located in what is today modern Iraq. It's about 600 miles away from where Jonah was, and God gave Jonah the order, I want you to go preach the good news to the people of Nineveh. And the people of Nineveh were wicked, ruthless I mean, they were bloodthirsty people. The Assyrians were the first ones who really uh, invented crucifixion. They would impale people on stakes. They would skin people alive. They would take you by hooks through your nose or through your jaw and string you like fish on a, on a fishing line when they would take you captive and they would haul you back to Assyria. They would pile up dead bodies and use the skin, peeling the bodies of people while they were still alive, peeling their skin off to decorate like wallpaper their rooms of their homes. I mean, you talk about wicked, ruthless, barbaric people, that would be the Ninevites, that would be the Assyrians. And God says to Jonah, I want you to go preach the good news to these people. So no wonder Jonah's like, I ain't going to go preach to those people. Those people skin people alive. I'm not going to be somebody's wallpaper. And so Jonah takes off on a boat out of Joppa, port city on the Mediterranean, and he heads towards Tarshish, which is probably the area of Spain or modern England, where he's trying to get as far away as possible from God. And this is when then God has this great fish that comes up, a great storm on the Mediterranean, and the great fish then, as, as they throw Jonah overboard, because they, Jonah admits, say, the reason why we're in this big storm is because of me. I'm disobeying God. If you throw me overboard... The rest will go good for the, for the, it'll go well for the rest of the crew. They throw him overboard and, and the, the sea, uh, the storm dies down and Jonah's then swallowed by this great fish. Now, you know, for a lot of people, they think it's a fable, it's a fairy tale. It's not a fable, it's not a fairy tale. It is really something that happened. Uh, you can reject it or you can believe it by faith, but that's what God says happens. And, and uh, Jesus even here substantiates it. Uh, so Jesus must be in some kind of deceived illusion here because he himself believes it. He says, Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. And it was there that God spoke to Jonah, got a hold of his heart. The great fish barfed Jonah up on dry land. And then after uh, Jonah peeled away all the seaweed and everything else, probably looking a little pale from the gastric juices of the great fish. And, you know, the Bible doesn't say it was a whale. So, I mean, it might have been a whale. It doesn't say that it was a whale. It just says it was a great fish. The Hebrew word for it is dag, as in dag. That's a big fish. But uh, and so Jonah then, probably a little pale from the gastric juices. He's been bleached a little bit. So, he, you know, he looks a little strange. And then, but, you know, if you've spent three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish and God finally gets your attention, you're going to obey him. All right? As soon as you get barfed out, you're going to obey him. So he ends up going to Nineveh and he preaches the good news. Now, Jesus is saying to the people of his own day, that the people of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah, and Jesus says, yet one greater than Jonah is here. In other words, the people of Nineveh believed God, though a lesser light was shown, 
Jesus says a greater light, being the presence of God himself, Jesus speaking here, is present with you, and you reject the good news. So this is the third comparative statement on the list of four. He is greater than Jonah, more than a resurrection after three days in a huge fish. Uh, Jesus will spend three days and three nights. He's gonna, he alludes to it right here. It hasn't happened yet, but he speaks about when he dies, when he is crucified. Jesus says here, the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now just tuck that away. I'm going to come back. We're going to spend some time on this tonight to discuss this. This is one of the biggest questions I always get. Where did Jesus go three days, three nights that he was in the tomb when his body was in the tomb? Where did he go before he rose again from the dead? So we're going to talk about this a little bit here. But again, verse 41, Jesus then condemns this generation because he is greater than Jonah. Jesus is the greater light. He is presenting a greater truth, and yet the people of his day rejected Jesus, by and large. So Jesus says the people of Nineveh will rise up and they will condemn this generation because they believed in the preaching of Jonah, and Jonah was an inferior message and messenger than is Jesus. So that's the condemnation that he, that he speaks to this generation. And then verse 42, he's going to make another Another comparative statement, he says, The queen of the south will rise in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. That's the fourth comparative statement that he makes. One greater than Solomon is here. He's uh, more than the wisest king. Now, in the margin of your Bible, you can just write down 1 Kings 10, 1 through 9. 1 Kings 10, 1 through 9. I'm just going to read a portion of it. You don't need to turn unless you want to. But this records the visit of the queen of the south to Solomon. Now, when Solomon was king of Israel, he was the third king of Israel, King Saul, King David, and then David's son Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man uh, who reigned, although he was one of the most complex men, too. He was disobedient to God. He was a, a, a man of, with a mixed heart. That's for another Bible study. Uh, but uh, Solomon, in his heyday had expanded the kingdom to its greatest boundaries. Uh, The kingdom of Israel was the wealthiest it had ever been, was the most fortified it had ever been. And so the queen of the south, particularly called the queen of Sheba, comes to visit King Solomon. It's recorded in 1 Kings chapter 10. Sheba is a modern term for Saudi Arabia. So she comes from the southern part of Saudi Arabia. So Jesus calls her the queen of the south. 1 Kings chapter 10 calls her the queen of Sheba. And here she comes, and I'll just read a couple of verses. 1 Kings 10, 6 through 9. It says that she said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your men must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. And then she says this, Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. And it is believed that the Queen of Sheba becomes a believer and she even ascribes praise to the Lord right here in what I just read you because she is amazed at the evidence of God's mighty hand of blessing upon Solomon and the kingdom of Israel. So Jesus back here in Matthew 12 says, the Queen of the South, the Queen of Sheba, she's going to rise in judgment because she even believed God 
though the evidence was less than what the evidence is in this generation, Jesus says. Because Jesus says, he himself, Jesus speaking, is greater than Solomon. He says, you have something even greater than Solomon. Queen of Sheba believed Solomon, believed God, because she saw the evidence through the life of Solomon. You reject God, though you see the greater evidence through me, in effect, is what Jesus is saying here. And so they are condemned as well. Now, let's back up a little bit here and talk about this statement about uh, the Son of Man being three days and three nights uh, in the heart of the earth. This is an important statement that Jesus makes to give us a little insight into what happened to him during the three days and three nights that his body was in the tomb after he was crucified, body in the tomb, three days and three nights before he rises from the dead. Now, as some of you have been around long enough through the teachings of the Gospels or will be familiar with a story that Jesus shares in Luke chapter 16, and I'll not read it, but, but I will summarize it. And Jesus tells this story, it is not a parable. It, because there's no indication, he doesn't talk about it as a parable, he talks about it as a real story. And in the story of Luke chapter 16, verses uh, 19 through 31, uh, there is a story about two men who die. One is just simply called a rich man, and another guy is called Lazarus, who is a beggar. So Jesus tells his story about two men who die, And he says that the beggar, Lazarus, goes to the side called Abraham's side. And the rich man, who obviously did not have a relationship with God, it was not an indictment on the fact that he was just rich, but he didn't know God, he goes to the torment side. Now, here's what everybody needs to understand. Where did people go when they died? Where did their spirit go before Jesus dies on the cross? The answer is, they went to a single place called Hades in the Greek, or Sheol in the Hebrew. When you read in your Bibles in the Old Testament a reference to Sheol, a reference to the grave, it is that word. It refers to a single place that all people went to when they died before Jesus came on the cross. There were two sections to Hades, two sections to Sheol. One side was called Abraham's side, that was called also paradise. And the other side was called the place of torment. There was a great chasm that separated both sections of Hades. So it is fair to say, but you have to define it, it is fair to say that everybody who died before Jesus came on the cross went to hell. That is a fair statement to say because literally Hades or Sheol can be translated hell or the grave. But you have to qualify that. Because one half of the side of hell was a place of paradise. It was, a, it was a good place. It was a place where all the righteous went who believed God by faith through the sacrificial system. Remember on the cross in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, when Jesus is dying on the cross and he has two thieves that are crucified on either side of him. And one of the thieves turned to him and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turned to him and said, truly this day you shall be with me in paradise. Now it wasn't heaven. It was paradise. It was the paradise side of Hades. And that's where Jesus would go in his spirit for the three days and three nights that his body was in the tomb. The other side, the torment side, is where all those would go, that side of Hades or that side of Sheol, 
who did not believe in God, did not practice the sacrificial system before Jesus dies on the cross, who did not by faith believe God through the atonement of the blood of animals. They went to the torment side. Now in Luke 16 in the story, the guy who was the rich man who doesn't believe in God, he cries out on the other side because he you're able to speak through and over the chasm, but you couldn't go back and forth between the two halves. The guy who was the rich guy in torment cries out to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, can you just dip your finger in some water and come over here and quench me because I'm in agony in this fire? And Abraham says, no. He says, I can't go from here to there, neither can you come from where you are to where I am. There's a great chasm or a great gulf that is fixed between the two halves, separating the righteous from the unrighteous. The rich guy then in torment says to Abraham, well, if he can't do that, can you at least go and warn my family members so that they don't come to the place of torment. Abraham says they have Moses and the prophets to warn them, meaning they have the word. They have the scriptures. Then the rich guy says, no, please go tell them anyway. And Abraham responds and he says, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they would not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Look, the most powerful demonstration of God's miraculous work to change hearts is the word of God is the Word of God. It is not some supernatural demonstration. It is the Word of God that has the greatest power to effect change in the heart of a human being. And Abraham says, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. But Jesus shares this story in Luke 16 to help us understand what happened to all the people who died prior to Jesus' crucifixion on the cross. Now, since Jesus has died on the cross, once you put your faith and trust in Him, when you die... You go directly to heaven. The paradise side of Hades is now empty. Now, I want to share three verses with you. And, and I don't mean to belabor this, but I guess I do because I want everybody to understand this biblical truth. So I'm going to give you three scripture verses here. I'm going to read through them. I'm not going to spend an inordinate amount of time on them, but I do just want to share with you this so we can understand how do you figure that Jesus went there and how do we know what's going on here. So here's the first passage from Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 7 through 9. This is what it says. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, He ascended on high, He led captives in His train, and gave gifts to men. What does He ascended mean except that He also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Okay, so there in Ephesians 4, verse 9, it talks about how he ascended because he had descended to, listen to this, the lower earthly regions. King James Version says, into the lower parts of the earth. This is exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. He said, the Son of Man will spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It tells us where Hades or Sheol is. It's in the core of the earth. It's in the heart of the earth. You say, well, the core of the earth, scientists say, you know, it's how many millions of degrees and it would incinerate. No, I don't, you know, I don't, no one has ever drilled down to the core, my friend. That's complete speculation. What the Bible says is that in the center of the earth lies Hades, or Sheol, in two compartments. And Jesus then descends when he dies, body goes in the tomb, his spirit descends to the paradise side of Hades, where he will lead then those 
who are righteous, who had been made righteous temporarily through the sacrificial system, he's going to lead them out in the train of his robe, so to speak. He leads them into heaven, and he empties paradise side. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew, and we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know